All right, welcome everybody. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of How Bougie Broad's Podcast. This is your girl, Rita B on the mic. This is your girl, King Rosa. And this is Mika. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see we're continuing the King Rosa from last episode. I like yes, it. King All right. Rosa. <laughs> so before we get started with, you know, our with our um, episode, does anybody want to talk about, um, you know, what's been going on with them in the past week? No, just a happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there and for all those who play, who are in the father role. Hope you guys have enjoyed your day. Exactly. Good, good. Now, yeah, I definitely don't want anybody who's to, to be left out, especially those who fill, who fill in the gaps for those fathers who are not there, who can't be there or just aren't there. You know, it's great to have, you know, men step up who fill in the gaps. That's important. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> all right, good. So let's just move on to Mika's mad moments because, you know, even on Father's Day, Mika's going to find something to be mad about. <laughs> Always. Okay, so I am mad, but I am mad at myself. I realized this past week that I have failed to culturalize my son. I, My son has no black friends. <laughs> my son, I don't even know if at this point he recognizes, like he knows he's black because we've discussed things that are happening in the world today, but like, I don't know if I'm raising this child to be immune to the fact that he's black and that those things that affect black people affect him too. Like, it's crazy because I'm trying to give him the best schools and I'm trying to give him the the, the best of everything. And in doing so, like, I've completely isolated him from the culture that I think made me who I am. You know, so I'm like, oh, my God, I'm mad at me. Like, I got to go find my baby some black friends because this is um <laughs> this is sad. Like, uh, he's he's he's. He's told this little white girl that they're going to get married, and they done said this since, like, first grade, <laughs> and they still have, like, play dates all the time. <laughs> she took his lunchbox home and washed it out for him, and, like, oh, I'm like, no. oh, my God, he has no, and then I can't be mad because I haven't given him any, like, black examples to choose from because um, I done surrounded my child with all white folks. Uh, so, yeah, so this is Mission Gotta Find Kamara Some Black Friends, um. That's what I'm going to be working on the rest of this summer is having play dates with some black people. He, he got to get some black friends. Um, you know, me and Jessica have been working on him and her nephew kind of getting to be friendly. They like each other. They're both super smart. So I think this will work out. We just got to make some more time for some play dates. Um, and maybe then he can meet some of his other black friends and they can all be like black friends together because he needs a little bit of that in his life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I got to get my kids up there, too, so so um, they can all be black friends together. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't see each other enough, unfortunately. I know, right? I, I think that because I feel like I was in the same situation as your kids, as y'all kids. Um, like I was surrounded by white people, but because my parents played, I'm finna be. Let me say this: because my parents played R and B and all that old school stuff in the car, and I and outside of school, I was surrounded by blackness that when it came time to be around black people in middle school, when all the white people rejected me because this happens, I, w I integrated very quickly into blackness in middle school and high school, right? So I don't think it's not a lack of what y'all not, what I'm trying to say, it's not a lack of what y'all not doing. It's just their environment right now. You know what I'm saying? And usually things take a shift. 
I so. guess I think because with me and Rita, we kind of grew up with both sides of the fence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we we lived in these all black neighborhoods, and you know what I'm saying, rode the bus with all black people, and then when we went to school, we were surrounded by all white people. So we got to live on both sides. And yeah. I think that that definitely, definitely helped structure who we are. It makes it so easy for us to blend in either way. Mm-hmm. And I think, like I say, I, he, I just think he doesn't have that. I think he, like, he's a super smart kid, so he understands that, you know, there's black and there's white. But I don't know if he truly understands that he is black and the things that affect black people affect him. Like I, I So that's what I worry about. I was like, I don't want him to be one of them kids who be like... Oh, that's y'all problem. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it doesn't affect me because I'm not that type. I'm I'm not black, black. You know. So I I I want him to. I don't know. I just feel like I I need him to have that that culture with him mm-hmm. because I had it and I think it made me. You know, who I am, and I don't want him to go the majority of his life without. Having, I don't want him to wait till he gets to college and be like, oh, that's, oh, this is what black people do type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I understand. You know, it's so interesting because we had that, you know, different, you know, that we were, had our boat, one foot in both worlds. And, but it's like, once we got into this all white, you know, atmosphere at school, because we were in the gifted program, it was mostly white. We found, like, we, like, we found our friend Kendra and we like, hey, you're going to be with us. Like you're you know, black, and this is like what we're gonna do, and we're gonna stick together. Like we, we, we made yes. our own we're little black stop. niche in those white yes. spots, <laughs> right? She didn't have and, a choice. And it's so, it's so funny. <laughs> yes, and she was like, oh, "Okay," <laughs> and she just came along for the ride, and you know, and it was just so funny how we do that. But my daughter is sitting there, you know, in school that's actually way more mixed than my school than me and Mika's school was, and she gravitates to white friends, and I'm just like. She said she has black friends, but when I go to, you know, her band concerts and her, you know, the things that I go to, she's always, you know, with the white kids. So I let her be, but I also tell her I want her to seek that out. I'm not trying to make you be friends with black people and like push it, but I do want you to have a diverse group of friends. You're not just going to be hanging with only white people. You're going to be hanging, learn how to hang with black people too and learn how to be in both. I don't know if that's politically correct or not for me to tell her that, but I don't care. <laughs> you well, know, you know I, kids I don't see color. And, I do that. And that's what we have to, we, I, I have to think about too. Like, I don't say much to him. I just try to covertly push it. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we're going to go hang out with Jessica's nephew. Like, not, oh, the black kid, you know. But kids don't right. see color. And I don't don't necessarily want to interrupt his world with this whole, we got to be black, it got to be white thing. But I'm with you. I, I want that, I want you to not just have one type of friend, I guess to say is, yeah. and and if you, you know, I definitely don't want it to be all white friends because I feel like you're gonna miss out on part of your culture if you, if you do. Mm-hmm. Like you're already at a school that doesn't teach you black history and stuff like that, so you know I'm having to make up for that here at home. But I, I, I want you. There is a difference, you know. Right. Mm. It's such a hard thing as parents to have to deal with. Yeah, but you know, something so that I think I'm mad come. at me this week, so, you know, <laughs> white people, y'all can take a breath. <laughs> white men at my job, y'all can take a deep breath. <laughs> I know they're like, oh, yes, finally. Not this week. <laughs> you know, I ain't give them enough time to piss me off, but that's all. <laughs> but, you know, next episode, we'll be right back to it, trust me. Of course. <laughs> they never give it a rest. <laughs> In the meantime, find you some cultures. Juneteenth is stuff is going on. Take your son to some stuff. 
Mm. Yeah, we're going to go over to Tampa. Well, I'm out of town in the next couple of weeks, so we'll see. Mm. <laughs> Maybe I can get his daddy to take him. Yeah. And it's hard because at least with my daughter, you know, I could take her to sorority stuff. But, um, you know, with our sons, it's, it's hard. You know, they can't necessarily, you know, go to certain things with us because it's, you know, mostly for girls. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, I really kind of want to segue now into something that's been uh, uh, real heavy the last couple of weeks um, is mental health. And I know, um, you know, particularly black people haven't been in the headlines with this situation. But, you know, um, with Kate Spade, Rose's favorite, you know, uh, purse designer. Yes. I know. Um, and, and Anthony Bourdain, uh, you know, they were two, you know, really cultural I guess people people who are really in the arts scene, you know, with designing clothes and, you know, Anthony Bourdain with the food and the travels that he did, you know, it touched a lot of people, and, you know, upset a lot of people with them, you know, and the fact that they completed suicide. And I think it was about this is about two weeks going on two weeks ago now. And I know necessarily, like I said, black people haven't been in the forefront of that, but I want us to have this conversation because. What people, a lot of people don't realize is actually black suicide has been on the rise in the last few years, um, especially little black children. And if anybody's been paying attention to Facebook in the past year or two, how many ch- little black children have committed suicide? Or sorry, com- let me use the right word, completed suicide. Yeah, I was going to say completed <clears throat> suicide is the right terminology. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and we're going to talk about the terminology probably. I think I want to talk about that a little bit later from my mental health moment is terminology and using that. But we definitely, you know, let's let's talk about mental health in the black community and maybe at least, you know, start with the conversations. I know me and Rosa were talking a lot about how off the mark a lot of the conversations were that we were seeing going on on Facebook. And it was sometimes going to be a little frustrating seeing people and the way they discuss mental health and suicide in our community. So, so let's talk about that. So for me, and I, I'll start off because I'm probably the least knowledgeable in this subject and then I'll turn it over to you all. For me, I I think that when it comes to mental health, especially in the black community, it's it's frowned upon. Like you can't, it, you're looked at as weak. You, we don't do therapy. We don't go and talk about our problems to other people, and it's ingrained in us. So a lot of it you hold in and you bottle it up until it starts eating you from the inside. You know, because there's no outlet. You 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 it's it. You know, when you're the men, you, you can't go and talk to somebody about your feelings because that's not manly. That's not black manly. You know, you be strong, you hold up. You know what I'm saying? And then you got the strong black woman stigma that you have been put on many black women. And it's like, I can't be going to somebody talking about my problems because that makes me look weak because I'm a strong black woman. You know, so the, 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 the stigma that has been put on us for so long that you, you, you shouldn't go to counseling and, and we don't talk about opt-in. You know what I'm saying? You keep that to yourself type of stuff and, you know, you, your, your outlet is basketball or, or some type of sport or, or let it out in your music or, you know what I'm saying? Like, just don't let that out in a way that, that's healthy for you, like going and talking to somebody and so they can help you process it. Hasn't been a standing thing in our community and I, I have seen campaigns lately about, you know, it's okay to go to counseling and kind of targeting black people in regards to sitting down with a therapist and then our comfortability with these therapists because I know I heard you Rosa one time saying somebody else one time says like I don't feel comfortable going to a white therapist because she don't understand or he don't understand my struggles like there are not enough black ones out there that can relate to us to help us through 
what we feel like we're mm-hmm. going through. So that makes it hard for people to step out there. Like at one time, I mean, y'all don't know, but I went and sat down with the council and it was this white man. And like, I just felt like he was condescending. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. I just felt like he looked mm-hmm. down on me, like poor black girl doing mm-hmm. this and doing that. Mm-hmm. And like all of a sudden my defenses went up like, bitch, you don't know me. I own a BMW. Mm-hmm. I got a hundred thousand dollars. Like, I just wanted to tell him like, I've accomplished mm-hmm. a lot. Like, why are you looking at me? Like, stupid little black, poor black girl what are you in here for? like you know kind of like talk and I didn't feel like it was helping I felt more like when I got in there I was more anxious and anxiety and so it was only two visits and we was done you know mm-hmm. so like I, I think those type of things that happen it can lead to what we are now seeing as an epidemic of of, of, of our pe- people committing suicide mm-hmm mm-hmm or completing. I'm sorry, guys. I yeah, that's the language. Trying. Completing. We're working. Even I work on the language, so don't even yes. feel bad yes. about that. The language. Um, I know for me, um, I was, when we talked about discussing this topic, I was going to really go on a, the professional side and talk about all the knowledge that I know around this. But right in this moment, as Mika was talking, I feel like I should shift that and be personal. Right. Um, okay. Because I feel like personal will be more impactful because we are trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So I identify as a person with a mental illness. I am not going to disclose which one at this time because I, I am not ready for that. But I'm going to say that I do identify and I do have I am in treatment and I have been in treatment for this since I've been about 18 years old 17 started at 17 and what bothers me the most about this conversation on social media is that we are missing the mark Mm -hmm. people are not killing themselves all the time or completing suicide because they're depressed because that's what they're saying, like, oh, you're so depressed, and oh, you need to reach out to your strong friend, and okay, I get it. But that's not what suicide and suicide ideations are, is about. It's about that I have ran out of solutions, and this is the best option. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm depressed because sometimes that means I'm angry. Sometimes that means I'm hopelessness and hopelessness is not always connected to depression. I want people to understand that too. Hopelessness is not always connected to depression. And when, when these ideations come, it's in our mind. We are doing society a better favor by moving on than staying here. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I can explain it on my end. But it's a very serious conversation in the black community because I know I'm not the only person who feels this way. I am Mm -hmm. not the only person who has dealt with certain things. And I want our people to be able to look at someone like me and not fire me, not judge me, not criticize me, and not pressure me because this is 
mental illness is normal just as someone who has diabetes or someone who has uh, a chronic illness. So we need to start mm-hmm. looking at things differently. That's that's where I'm coming in at. Like, and, and we also need to learn how to talk to people who are experiencing these thoughts and emotions. Right. Right. Yeah. I hope I, I mean, asking some, that well. <laughs> no, you did. No, you did a great job, and I think that's impactful coming coming from somebody who can tell you firsthand instead of just, you know, what I mean, just reading in the textbook. Mm-hmm. Because so many people do, they do miss the mark. Oh, you have so much to live for, mm-hmm. but that's not what. That's not. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 missing the mark. You know, that's missing the talking, mark. <laughs> totally missing the mark, and I think people want to make it better. And yes. if you ever listen, Brene Brown is one of my favorite people to, to, to listen to and hear her talk. And she talks, she has a whole video, a little video, and it's short, quick, to the point. And I love it because it's like 10 minutes, not even, maybe it's like five, about empathy and how to be empathetic. And I love it because it's funny, but it's real. And, you know, one of the one things we always want to do is fix something. We want to silver, silver line it, and we want to give people at least. And the worst thing you could do for somebody who is feeling that is say at least (laughs) it's like it's the worst thing you do well at least you know oh well i'm feeling i lost my job yes at least no you know (laughs) yes no i know at least because i I woke up this morning but i woke up in pain and it may not be physical pain but it's emotional pain and people with depression people who are feeling that or do have suicidal ideations do deal with the brain and their thoughts telling Mm -hmm. them that yes it would be easier. My family wouldn't be burdened with me today if I didn't, if I, you know, maybe to, you know, they would be sad for a little while, but they'll get over it and they won't, they'll be happy that they don't have to deal with the burden of me anymore. And that's and, a thought. That's thoughts. Yeah. And, and I think that, oh, Sharita, you and I have the privilege through our degrees to mm-hmm. study the brain and brain development, right? Right. Right. And to, have a mental illness is basically a sickness of the brain. That's basically Absolutely. what it is. It's, it's, Absolutely. And the, and the brain is such a powerful organ, and I love it, but it, it's such a powerful organ. And let me tell you about your brain and the messages and what it does. It's like I, I don't think our community realize how, impa- how impactful the brain is, right? And when you have mm-hmm. a sickness there, it is, it is your quality of life and impactfulness is it, it, it's, it's crazy. You know, that's all I can say because we don't have enough time to go into deep detail about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just we don't, you know, just how to how do, how can we talk to somebody? How can we support somebody who is dealing with something? And I think it's so important for us not just to, like Mika said, to be stuck on this strong black man, strong black woman thing. You know, that can be empowering in some manners, but in a lot of manners it can be, I don't know what the opposite of empowering, depowering, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or demoralizing to a lot of people is, you know, we, we need to recognize the strength of people saying, of admitting that they have a problem or that they're feeling a certain way or talking about their emotions or saying they're vulnerable. Instead of telling somebody at least Sit with them in it and thank them for sharing that with you because that is not easy to share. Especially when you're feeling with our kids, we 
have to yes. be supportive. We have to allow them to feel. We have to allow them to express the hurt or the sadness and help them through problems. We can't, you know, tell our little boys, oh, buck up, stop crying. You know what I'm saying? Or, or, or yes. but stop, you stop being a punk. And we say this, and I'm not gay bash you when I say that, but when you say, stop being a punk about it, man. You this, you, you this how old, you know? You know, and we have to allow them that I think we we stifle that especially in our black yes. community a lot especially with our with our boys we, we try to stifle that emotion I like my my son is a loving feeling little kid I, I know that about him you know so I try to allow mm -hmm. him to to be loving and feeling he loves to give hugs and he feels and sometimes I'm so nervous about how much he feels because he feels guilt instantly and 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 mm -hmm. he and it will overwhelm him sometimes. Like if I get mad at him for something he's done, he will have a whole bad rest of the day and night. Not like acting out, but like just not himself super sad. And so I have to mm -hmm. be. I am very intentional that when I'm mad at him, I explain why I'm mad. I explain that I still love him, and then we talk about it because I'm like, yes, this, I've seen that this guilt eats him, and he does not like for mommy to be upset at him, and I never want him to feel like. My mom is so mad at me that there's nothing. I, I'm hopeless because I know Absolutely. he loves his mom to death. Mm -hmm. And so I, I I, think that we have to be aware of that. And, you know, when you talk to your kids and even when things happen, pay attention to how your anger affects them. Like, I'm mad that you've done something wrong. I need to pay attention to what my anger, what my being angry at you, how that makes you feel so that we can address it. It doesn't mean that I don't stop. You don't stop getting in trouble for doing bad things, but it means that. You know, I talk to you and make you understand that it doesn't mean I don't love you and, 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 and that now, you know what I'm saying, you've disappointed me so much that I feel like, you know, I don't want you to feel like this, there's no hope. And and, mm -hmm. and, and and that happens, you know, and, and I don't know, like, I feel like suicide, because it's mentioned so much that it's becoming, and I don't know if this is the right word, but I feel like it's becoming popular, which means that more and more people are seeing it as the way out especially our kids they say you know what if there's if i feel hopeless i'm gonna go ahead and end this because it, it's being it, it's okay look they did it they were able to get rid of all their pain by just leaving type of thing so i think we 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 may have to make the narrative of what happens when you're gone so people can see that you're not making it easier you know it, it does leave mm -hmm. a whole bunch of hurt people behind and, and as much as you think we're better without you when you're gone you don't know that and this is what happened when you're gone. This this is how you've affected people. Like, I'm, I'm not better without you. One of my sorority sisters told us the other day, because we talked about, we have a what the health section in our sorority meetings. We talk about health and wellness. And this week, last week, we talked about um, this this suicide and stuff. And she brung up, she was like, you know, many people don't know that I dealt with Because she's such a, you, we see her as such a strong, like, she loves herself. I mean, self-confident person. So to hear her say, I struggle with this. Many of you don't know this, but I struggle with this. She's like, and the only thing that stopped me, the only thing that stopped me is I said, my mom and them can't afford to bury me. Mm. That's the, mm. it is, she felt like everything is so bad, but if I die, this is going to stress them the heck out because they can't afford to bury me. Mm. And the only thing I, I caution, and because I do, you know, I agree, I just caution about that sometimes is because um, it sometimes the depression gets so bad with certain people and those thoughts are so bad that it almost is like we're making our, uh, us more important than their pain. And so, you know, I, I, I get both sides and it is hard for the people who are left behind 
to make sense of it all. But in the moment, that is not their thought. <laughs> like, their thought is not about necessarily, like, trying to make it easier for, for us. They're t- trying to ease their own pain. And it's a struggle day to day. And sometimes for people like Anthony Bourdain, he, he managed, he talked, to, he was very open about his depression. And he, he is a person who struggled with it for a long time. And for the fact that he survived for 61 years is a testament to how strong he is that he made it that far. But for some people, that, that pain is so overwhelming. It's, almost, it's way more overwhelming than just what we would be going through. If you get what I'm trying to say? And those are the people that need help, not necessarily the, the guilt of how we would feel. And I agree with that. Like I said, as a person who identifies with a mental illness, is that at times people don't understand how this really affects us day to day, right? How we have to, especially us who would consider ourselves healthier, and how we have we how we have self reflected, and we because you know I'm really good about self regulating my emotions, and I really can tell you like today this is what's going on, and today I need to stay out of Target, right? <laughs> you know, like little joke, but it, it's like I can I can tell you, but imagine being that person who has who has gotten up that morning and has identified and like. So I have to regulate this today. And let me tell you, self-regulating your emotions, and I think that's what um, I want people to know because I do this now, especially later in age, that I didn't do in my early 20s. And self-regulating your emotions is a hard task. I don't think people really realize what goes into that day to day because to be honest some days I just really want to be reckless you know I talk to you about it Rita when I see you know some people and how reckless they are because they have not identified that they need some some of this self-regulation in their life because mm-hmm. it's easier I told you that remember I told you it's easier just to just be reckless because when you identify these emotions and these feelings and you have said that day at eight o'clock when you look in the mirror before you go to work that this is what's this is what I'm feeling today I can't go to that job and wild out because I need my job so the whole time I'm getting ready for that whole hour because it takes me an hour to get ready in the morning because I'm lazy um and sometimes I wear makeup I have to continuously regulate myself and encourage myself and talk to myself and do all these things so that when I get to that job around 9, 930, I am a normal person and nobody knows anything at all. Right. And to be a, that's it's some strength in that to be able to do that. But it mm-hmm. also is exhausting. And exhausting to the point where you do start having ideations because you don't want to do it anymore because you start looking at everybody else and being like well they can just live free but I don't want to live free like them and I don't want to live like this so I'm looking at this solution like hey this might be the better solution you know and also I want people to understand around completed suicide when you have lost 
a member of your family of an importance, that is very impactful in these ideations because you start wanting to just go be with that person. You know, especially if that person was very impactful in your life. So it's multiple things that factor into this. You know what I'm saying? It's not always depression. You know, it's not mm-hmm. always anger. Sometimes it's just, hey, this is the person who loved me unconditionally, and I can't find anyone here on earth who loves me unconditionally, so why don't I go be with her? You know, I'm, I'm just being kind of real. I'm throwing out little real stuff. No. But, you know, just the, for people to understand the brain and the thought patterns at that time. And I think that's important too. And I want uh, that brings me to the first, most the like the most common misconception that people has is that you shouldn't talk to somebody about um, suicide because that'll put it in their minds. Mm. And it's generally the opposite of yeah. that. Is people already have they've thought about it already. You are not the first person to put this into their mind. And so having those conversations actually invites them to talk about it. And, and that way it gives you an opportunity to be empathetic and be with them in the moment versus you just tiptoeing around it. Because trust me, you ain't you. You are not the person that put that in their head. And actually, the data shows that because I do do a suicide prevention training, the data shows mm-hmm. that a person who completes suicide a week prior, they told somebody that they were going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Not directly. It. It may have been like, oh, so you're not going to see me at the family reunion next year. Right. Mom, this is the last time I'm coming to your house. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have. That's the gap. But we have to like step in and be like, hold on. Let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and Bridget, you know, say it. Yeah. I mean, are you having thoughts mm-hmm. of hurting yourself? And then talking to them about do they have a plan? You know, what are they going to do? Talk to them through it and encourage them, you know, to get help in any way, shape, or form if you don't feel up to, you know, if you don't feel capable of helping them. But don't be afraid of those conversations, Those, especially with our kids, man, because I would have never thought that a little kid would know anything about hanging themselves. We've seen kids as young as like seven years old hanging themselves. Mm-hmm. And I pray to God, my, you know what I mean? I wouldn't even think my kids would know what that is. The power of that age. <laughs> Yes. These kids are exposed to so much, so much, and it's just it, their 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 little brains are not, and their little bodies are not equipped to handle it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, that's heavy. This is a heavy it conversation. Is. How how do y'all it feel? Is. How how are y'all feeling? I'm gonna let me go first. I'm nervous because I am I am. <laughs> I I am so disconnected sometimes. I'm always that, well, if you need me, you know, call me type of friend. Not, okay, I'm going to call and check up on you type of friend. So, like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, oh, my goodness, have I missed some gaps in some people's lives that may have needed it. But then I'm also, like, I I don't know that sensitive part of me. Like, I I am so no-nonsense. I'm like, <laughs> it's probably best I'm not the person to talk to people because, <laughs> like, it, it seems like it's going to mean I'm going to have to tap into something that ain't quite there yet for me. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. It just makes me nervous. It, it just makes me I, It just makes me feel like, oh, gosh, I need to evaluate everybody in my life and now start listening super hard and make sure, like, I'm not missing any signals or signs. Or, you know, I'm going to be calling reading like, hey, I'm going to give you the phone number. You need to call this friend for me and talk to him because I know I ain't going to say it right, but you can say it just right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you honestly though, Mika, you are empathetic. You are, you make people laugh. You know, what I mean, you can you just be genuine. 
with the person and that's really all. I, I mean I don't want to speak for somebody you know people who've dealt with it before but I would assume that that was all they they need from you is just you to be genuine and not try to you know you don't have to have all the answers no, you so don't. don't. I don't want you to feel like that. That because that's not the point. I love if anybody ever, Mika, you too, if y'all ever, ever, ever have the opportunity to take mental health first aid training. It's a layman type of training um, that is awesome, and it's it was developed by somebody in Australia who just was passing by, I guess, somebody at a beach and saw them in having a psychotic moment, and they got the bright idea that like just regular people in the world don't know how to handle it. And so it's, um, you know, like I said, just for laymen, just regular people out in the community, anybody could take, you know, can benefit from it and just teaching them, teaching you about the mental illnesses and how to, you know, look for them just in layman terms, how to assess, how to assess for them and how to handle them. So I think it's a really good training if you ever get a chance to learn, to be able to do it. So that way you feel at least comfortable with it. But it does, it makes you reassess your life and what you've done and who you, who you're around. And really it's just, I just think the main thing is honestly just about being genuine and just being interested in, in you know, caring about people. Mm-hmm. And you have that. All of us have that. So we just got to tap into it. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> I am sure that you have that. <laughs> I, am, I am confident, Mika, that when the time comes, you will have the right words to say. I would don't don't be listening to me and Sharita because we have training behind that. You know what I'm saying? We we have degrees in that. But you as a person, we we are confident you have the right words to say. Well, I hope I'm never tested, but if I am, I hope y'all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got we got to move on though real quick because I want to speaking of the right words to say. I want to ha- give Rose an opportunity to do, you know, a quick little segment about her Rose's relationship corner because um, she has some things to say. So, my half bougie people, um, I do not have a Rose's relationship corner because I am in, not in the mood to help because I am dealing with some stuff myself. Um, not necessarily, it's not relationship related, it's personal. And I just don't have it in me. But that isn't a bad thing because that's self-care. Because why would I be reckless and give y'all some messed up information that really is not truly designed from my heart because I'm dealing with some stuff myself. So I'm just taking a self-care moment and, you know, taking a week off. And I appreciate y'all. But if you want some advice, I just wrote a blog this week. It's called, I believe, Unstable unhealthy insecure and the unrealistic expectations we place on our intimate partners and you can check that out and get some you know some motivation (laughs) please check it out check it out it's on our page our facebook page there's a link to it thank you for that so i think in keeping with the self-care and you know just the black mental um aspects i wanted to Replace our black girl magic, even though, you know, I love, we love our black women and we're very much a black women centered podcast, but I want to kind of talk about black boy joy. Okay. And I also, and I think this goes along with a lot of what Mika was talking about today with her son. Um, you know, it's Father's Day and I'm not going to cry 
I promise y'all I'm not. I'm gonna try not to anyway. But um, you know, you know, I lost my father recently. But um, the in all, you know, all of us on this podcast, you know, me, Meek, and Rose have all lost a parent. Um, so we're pretty much all in the, you know have gone through similar experiences in that. But the day before my father died, I ended up we were at Disney on an impromptu trip to Disney World, and um, it was me, my husband, and my two children, my daughter and my son, and. You know, me, my daughter, my, you know, my son, the last time we had been to Disney was several years ago. My son was two, so he didn't remember. My daughter had been several times before that. You know, it had been obviously a while for her as well, but, it, you know, we'd all been, you know, several times uh, before that. So this was just, you know, Disney, you know, but my son hadn't been in, you know, since he was two and he's eight. So that was six years and two years, you don't remember anything. And so this was his first time really going to Disney. And we did the worst thing you could do at Disney was go to all four parks in one day. Don't ever do that again. That was the second time we've done it. When we were younger, <laughs> it was much easier, trust me. But, you know, as, as a, almost getting towards up to, to my 40s in a couple of years, it, it's not the business at all to try to do that. But, you know, we tried because we had these free tickets, so we tried to make the most of it. And by the end of the evening, you know, everybody was tired. Feet were hurting, like serious pain, right? We did 10,000 steps. Uh, no, actually, no, no, no. I did more. We did more than I think. I did twenty. We did twenty thousand steps um, that day. So, you know, we were tired. We were done, and we 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 ended our day at um, the Magic Kingdom, and we were like, okay, let's leave right now during the fireworks, so we can get to the car because while everybody else is still watching the fireworks, and everybody agreed because we were done, tired. Even my son, he was like, yes, I'm ready to go. But as we were walking and the fireworks were going on at Disney, if anybody's been there before, it is a really magical moment because it's not just fireworks. They play the music from all the, the show, Disney shows. And my son just starts crying. And we're going through the, the crowds and we're trying to get somewhere, you know, get to the parking lot and whatever. You get to the ferry, you know, take us back to the parking lot. And he's just like crying. And I stop and my husband's, you know, making the way. So he's above, in front, uh, ahead of us. And he just stops and he's, he's crying. So I stop and I check on him. And he's got tears. And I'm like, what's going on, baby? What's wrong? And he's just, I don't know. And then I, so I stop and I flag down my husband. I tell him to, you know, wait, a, wait up for us. And I talk to my son. And he's just like, I'm just so emotional, mom. He's like, I don't know. And I'm just like, he is, he's feeling it. And I just realized that moment we were all like, oh, yeah, Disney, no big deal. You know, we are Floridians. But he had, that's the first time he really experienced Disney when he could remember and it got, and he was emotional. And instead of us blowing it off and saying, come on, kid, let's get to the car, we let him have his moment. And my husband made it, he, he, he was, like I said, he was a little bit ahead of us, and he turned around, so I, you know, he was like, what are y'all doing? And I explained, he's like, he's emotional. And he picked up my son and carried him and talked to him the whole way to the ferry, and he just kissed him and hugged him, and like I said, he carried him, and on the ferry, he hugged him and whispered to him and talked to him. And he didn't, he let him have his moment. And I, that's what, to me, oh, I'm getting emotional, because it's Father's Day, and that's what I, I love, that my kids have that. And they, my husband, as a father, let my kids have that moment. Let their son, who's a boy, have that moment. And I think that's, that's so special. I think it's us. That's big yes. for a black man. That, that's and I think we have to be, we have to do that for our kids. I remember when you taught me that, Rita, and I was just like, mm -hmm. yo, I was like, man, it's speechless. I was and literally wrote for Jerome too, like me knowing yeah. Jerome yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or your husband. Sorry, me knowing your husband. That, that's big. I don't, I don't, that's big. Yeah, that's I don't know what happened with your husband. 
that's 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 big. But as parents, we do grow, and to see that 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 type of growth in 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 the husband of yours that I know is awesome. It's beautiful. <laughs> like I'm about to cry, and y'all know I don't even cry. So <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> and and it, that's something I respect from your husband is that he lets both of y'all children, not just Nini. Sorry. Not just her daughter. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't give her real name. <laughs> That's not her real name. But not just her, but how he allows your son to have his space emotionally and to embrace that space and not yell at him and be like, stop crying. You got to be a man. People going to pick on you. Nah. Use your words. You, you like I always say, use your words. <laughs> and you know my my kid is like Mika's kid you know we're they're emotional kids they're smart they're like tapped into their emotions and you know he will sit there and he'll talk about he loves piano right now that's his passion and he'll uh, talk about how a song one. yes and he'll talk about how a song made him emotional and it made him feel something and I love that our kids are able to express those emotions and we give them that space to do that without shaming them for it. Mm-hmm. And that's so important. And we have men in our continue. lives that don't shame them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. imagine that battle if we had to not only be supportive for them, but, like, fight the battle of, you know, this very macho man who don't want to allow them to feel that. Like, I, you know, all the men in, in, in Kamara's life, thank God, like, his from his granddaddy to his daddy to, you know, his stepdad, you know, Michael, who I call his stepdad, and he calls him his, well, sorry, he calls him his pseudo-dad. Because um, my nine-year-old <laughs> uses the word pseudo. Um, well, but yeah, right mom. now, <laughs> yeah. So you know that that they they allow that. Like it, 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 the machoism doesn't like jump in there, and they're like, "Man, man up! Stop being a punk!" Like they just allow him to to have those those feelings, and I, I can appreciate that. I thank God for that. In my family, y'all just made me think about, like, how my father is now with myself and my brother. Um, when my mother died and was was sick, actually, this started when she was sick. Um, my father could not hold back his emotion anymore. Like, he could not. Like, I, I had many conversations in 2010 with my father when I was driving home, like, supporting him. Right. Supporting him Mm -hmm. in his crying, supporting him. And when my brother did his thing coming home and stuff like he could not regulate that anymore. And after my mother died, like my father made a complete 180. He tells us both he he has a problem when I start crying, not because he's trying to stop me from doing it. Like he goes into fix it mode. Like he don't, you know, he don't know what to do sometimes. Cause you know, you know how dads <laughs> be with their daughters. Like, yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. What I gotta do to fix it. But he has allowed the space for my brother to cry and feel everything too. I don't know. We're older. We're in our thirties, but my brother has no problem with crying in front of anybody about anything. And telling people how he feel. And he shows us that same emotional support as well, my father. And it took that tragedy to break the lineage lineages of, like, 
holding in your emotion because it was a phase in our lives and my family where you couldn't hold in your emotion because of the the trauma we were witnessing you know so so if we experience that my dad now is just like yo if you gotta cry cry I think he he can handle it with my brother better they talk through it I just need them to be better with me <laughs> both of them both of the asses and I, I've talked to them like you can't fix everything you can't fix everything I just need you to listen to me <laughs> can't can't go get your shotguns and get on your horses and shoot everybody you just can't do all that <laughs> you know <laughs> But I'm just saying from a, an adult point with your black boy, Joy, you know, um, I'm glad Jerome is doing that now. I'm sorry, your husband, whatever. Uh, <laughs> instead of waiting to like this, like a, a major tragedy to happen, like, okay, now I have to do this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's important. So black boy, Joy, y'all, it, let it happen, please. Let, let these boys experience their emotions. Mm-hmm. All right. And that just real quick, because I know we're getting out of time, but also I wanted to just real quick and introduce my first reader's mental health moment, name subject to change, <laughs> depending on if we can find a better name for this segment. But just the language of mental health is important. And I want to kind of start that because we started the conversation earlier when we talked about suicide and using those terms of completed suicide versus committed suicide because committed kind of has a negative connotation it's like they did something wrong like they committed murder you know or they committed a sin like you know let's get away from that sinning conversation um especially you know something i forgot to bring up earlier was also a lot of black people love to talk about how all you need is jesus you don't need therapy <laughs> we can have we can have jesus and therapy y'all i promise it works okay but um you know language you know, of mental health. And one of the things that we talk about in mental health is person-first language. People are not their diagnoses, okay? So instead of calling somebody a schizophrenic, a, you know, a bipolar, even saying a diabetic or, you know, whatever, this is somebody who is experiencing or dealing with or treating their illness versus, because they're a person first. They're not their, they're not their diagnosis first, right? This is a person who's dealing with schizophrenia, not a schizophrenic. And it just, it's, I know people get into semantics and they hate, you know, this PC culture. I get, some people hate it. I get that. But really, honestly, it's really not about making you feel bad for saying the wrong word. But it's more about you being, like, just being mindful that words mean things and words matter. And that little bit of shift in your conversation will humanize a person. Because when you're sitting around talking about a schizophrenic and a, or, a, or a paraplegic or a diabetic, you're really just kind of like putting a person into a category in a box. You know what I mean? But when you're talking about the person first, you're humanizing them. You're making them feel like they're a person outside of their disability or their diagnosis or their medical condition. And I think that's just a really good starting point for black people to start getting rid of that stigma of mental health. Mm-hmm. Because we are people first and foremost. The other stuff comes later. Okay? Words right. mean things. <laughs> words really mean things. iterate that. Word mean, <laughs> words mean things. <laughs> <laughs> and so just those shifts, you know. I, I have my holdout. I don't use, you know, the words like retard. I don't use fag. I don't use, you know, just any kind of those negative connotation words, but my own holdout is crazy. I got to get over that. I, and that is my, I, I understand that is my thing. And I, it's very hard for me not to use that word and I'm working on it. 
But we all have we all have our work in progress. You know, I've been mental health, in mental health for a very long time, and I'm still a work in progress. But um, and I know Rosa has her terminology that she still has. You know, it's hard for her to get over and not use as well. And this is our job. So we're not saying you have to be perfect people. Just keep that in mind and be mindful of how we're discussing and talking about people and humanizing them and giving them the benefit of the, you know, the, their humanity and their dignity. And that's it for me and my soapbox. You know, I like my soapboxes. Now that we're so, all clean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything y'all want to say before we head on out there? Mika, go first because you know Rose is going to be off the wall. So go ahead, Mika. <laughs> No, just, you know, enjoy. You guys have a safe summer, Um, you know, if you're traveling and stuff. I know I'll be traveling the next couple of weeks um, now through and through July. So just, you know, be safe out there and enjoy your summer. Whether it's a staycation or a true vacation, just enjoy. Awesome. Rosa? You know, since it's summertime, we have to be mindful of the turtles that come out of the lake and want to cross the road. And we should be patient with those who help guide the turtles across the street. Like that, today I ran into a turtle and I saw a white woman guiding the turtle back into the water. And I said, and I stopped and I said, yes, it's summertime and you guide this turtle. What do you need me to do, white woman? (laughs) So let's be mindful. I can't. I can't. Snapper turtles that need the guidance to get across the street. That's it. And drink, and drink your water. I'm done. I'm cutting you off, brother. <laughs> drink your water. <laughs> and that's it. Turtles. Anyway, <laughs> thank y'all for joining us on this wild ride we call Hapuji Brats Podcast. And um, yeah, have a good one, and don't forget to keep it Hapuji. Bye. Bye.